Right, hello. I'm going to start. It's good to see lots of friendly faces. Um, not, they're all friendly. Let's start again. Right. Good afternoon. It's nice to see lots of friendly faces and some familiar faces. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> um, as you know, I think you'll know, this is uh, called Empty Nesters, Life Together When the Kids Leave Home. So um, it might be that you're in the wrong seminar. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, do go out quietly. I won't draw any attention to you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Oh, glad I said that. Um, but uh, we may, uh, you know, it's so hot, and uh, we're obviously going to keep the sides open. So we may have some noise from outside, and hopefully they'll hear some of the pearls of wisdom from in here. So that worked both ways, would it? Uh, Marion and I are sharing this. That's Marion, my wife. You'll hear from her in a moment. Um, though, though probably I'll, I'll speak a bit more, but that's just how our life's been for the last 43 years. The idea that women talk and men don't is just not true in the Groves household. It's the other way around, really. But we'll, um, we'll share bits of what we, uh, uh, you know, like have organised, but we're also going to do Q&A, Q question and answer, and we'll both be involved in that, and Marion Scott will chip in. Uh, if I say something wrong or she thinks it's stupid or she's quite able to correct me or actually something I've forgotten more seriously or she thinks additional points. So we'll work it, do a bit of tag speaking at points, I expect. Well, I've already said, Marion and I have been married 43 years which has been a very happy marriage, I'm glad to say. Not all straightforward, uh, ups and downs. We've even shared one or two of them with people we've been helping over this weekend as we share stories. But basically, uh, God's been with us. We've got married as a Christian young couple. Um, we've had three children that came along quite close together. We'd had two years uh, without children, uh, two years when we were first married. And then from that time, Marion was um, mostly at home. I, she does, did work a bit with the church in various roles. I was a school teacher for the first seven years of our marriage. And then uh, I was a church elder for four of those years doing the school teaching as well. And then uh, I went full time with our church in Hastings, uh, King's Church which was a challenging time. Marion wasn't thrilled to have married a teacher who turned into a pastor. That wasn't what she really wanted to do. So we, we got through that. We seemed to survive that. Um, and, of course, uh, life goes on. So very quickly, I ended up as a lead elder there when we planted Eastbourne and the church went on growing, had a team there. Meanwhile, the family's growing, children up through the various stages and other aspects of life. My own father died when I was 35, and the children were still quite young. And then my mother died 12 years later when the children were in their teens. So they all came to the funeral. They loved uh, Granny very much. And so, you know, there's those things that go on. Marion's parents uh, were younger and lasted longer. Her, her mum died a, a few years ago, 2016. And, but we have got her father as an elderly widow, <coughs> quite able, thank God. But there's that dynamic, which if we have time, we'll touch on the old sandwich thing as well as the empty nest. There's all these phrases, but they are very real to life. Um, I think probably uh, all the church life goes on and you, your life is open to scrutiny from the church, which grew. But uh, probably our biggest challenge, uh, family-wise, was when our middle 
child, daughter, uh, who backslid for a period and a non-Christian boyfriend and got pregnant. And so we ended up with a single mum at home uh, for a few years, which was another dynamic. Meanwhile, the other two were off to uni. And so there were various complications around that, but God was very good. And Chloe uh, was married when Charlie was two. That was the little boy she had. And so actually, what actually happened is all three of our children left home and got married and things like that happened in a very short space of time, roughly between about 2000, 2003, four, three. And at the same time, we moved from Hastings, where although we weren't born there, we'd both grown up there, and the church I'd led for a number of years, and we moved to Winchester, which is where we are now. So lots happened for us around the same time as the empty nester, uh, the literal uh, emptying of the nest. So I hope all of that will feed in to what we share with you today. Uh, and we're a sort of in a slightly different phase now. We have the joy of 10 grandchildren, um, which is a joy. And some of them are getting old. One, obviously, from that... Uh, time with our daughter is quite old he's he's at work now and uh, some of them are in their teens so it's a different dynamic Um, I'm technically semi-retired but we have to work out what that means because it means I'm quite busy and we're processing that maybe trying to find a bit more time next year so I hope all of that will feed into what we say this afternoon But we're going to talk about the empty nest phase, which, as you know, is a term for that period in life when the children all grow up and leave home. And you can't help it, but this week, I I, I don't normally buy the Times, uh, other than sometimes I buy a newspaper at the weekend. But only on Tuesday this week, there was a headline, children really do make you happier once they leave home is the headline on the Times last Tuesday. So I couldn't resist getting it. It says, Empty nesters rejoice. Scientists have found that having children makes you happier, but only after they've left home. (laughs) Parenthood, it goes on, it can involve various uh, loss of free time, less rest, less money to spare. And previous research has shown those without children tended to be happier than those with children. There's this massive research, 55,000 respondents aged 50 or over, won't ask who's in that category here, 50 or over, in 16 different European countries were researched about well-being, family and social. Those with children tended to be more content, but only if those children had moved out. And then it goes on, there's no simple answer, da-da-da-da, the professor leading this says and he says the study was merely observational so can't determine cause and effect but his he and his colleagues suspect that absent sons and daughters can help parents through stressful events and offering a sense of security without demanding constant care and attention but and this is the final point I want to read the study suggested that absent children boosted happiness only if they had a good relationship with their parents. So I suppose it's sort of scientific, but it's sort of common sense, a lot of it. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about it from a Christian perspective, of course, and trying to be real. I mean, I think the first thing to say is that emptiness can be a little bit of a misnomer because uh, there are situations, for example, and maybe some here, we will touch on this, if you're a single parent, 
it, it may literally be like an empty house, empty nest. But of course, for most of us, there's a spouse there. And it's just as well to remember that, okay? So we'll be talking about marriage after the children leave home. You know, it's not that empty. And also, obviously, your concern and involvement with your children's lives doesn't end when they leave home. And uh, some of us, the nest seems to refill. You know, they come back or, the, 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 you know, there's sometimes not, that's not always good news. It's sometimes a little crisis that brings them back. But even on a, the most positive, you end up probably having families staying with you quite a lot and all that sort of thing. And then maybe there's elderly parents who get involved and, the, and you need to have them or even some of them live with you. And uh, there is a phenomena that we actually haven't particularly experienced because of where you get quite increasingly adult and aging almost children who stay at home uh, and that we want to touch that I, I, you do observe that happens uh, partly because of financial dynamics we're trying to buy homes and stuff but just in reading and thinking about this seminar in the United States these are statistics from the United States but they're quite recent over 30 percent of unmarried men between 25 and 34 still live at home with their parents in the United States. I don't know if that's similar in the UK, but that's another dimension you observe around, and some of you it may even be true here. But it is a unique time, and I, I want to start before I, Marion's going to pick up in a few minutes, just not, I, I think the negatives and their challenges, but let's also sort of just get that it, this isn't actually, this isn't bad news. I mean, let's take a very, very simple point. The actual, if we use the uh, uh, metaphor of the nest, <laughs> the actual object when a, a bird has a brood is that their nest is empty. That's the goal you're aiming for, that they all mature, grow up and fly away. And actually in humankind, us, that's similar. The, the actual goal is that if, and obviously it's not a moral point, it's just a sort of general social point almost, if your children all grow to, to significant independent adulthood, and I say that with genuine awareness, some people have, you know, disabled family and all sorts of things, but if your children genuinely, genuinely grow to independent adulthood, that is, that's the goal, <laughs> that's success, that's what you're aiming at, and that if they can leave you to cleave to another that's almost, if you like, the ideal in one way that they form another family unit and are able to reproduce and, and you, what you've put into them goes on to another generation. I mean, that's what, that's what we would rejoice in. And so uh, let's not treat it too negatively. And I actually think that the empty nest phenomena is a bit of a, a modern Western phenomena, but it's a blessing that has produced a slightly unusual dynamic in terms of world history and probably in terms of all the cultures of the world. Um, let me quickly explain. I don't want to take too long on it. But basically, we're all living longer and enjoying better health. I'm, I love reading old writers, and I'm often conscious and challenged by the fact that many of the guys I'm reading about, Spurgeon recently, were dead in their late 50s, you know, died at 58. And you, you're reading all this, you think... I'm 68. 
<laughs> you know, I, this was, I'm 10 years older than after he died. And you realize that there are all sorts of aspects which we are grateful to God for, of modern health and, 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 and diet even and lifestyle, which mean we live longer and have all these experiences that are a little bit different from previous generations. Our own children enjoy greater choice. There's greater mobility about their careers and where they go and what they do. Communications are better. The, the, the welfare state and the National Health Service all can play their part in increasing the independence and mobility of our modern society. And most of that we probably are quite happy with. And one of the side effects is this empty nest thing. It's, I mean, in one way, it's, it's maybe not all positive. The families used to be closer, more of a community, extended families and all that sort of thing. And, and pr you know, pre-industrial, you know, the children would stay and take on the business, the, the skill and all that. We, so, so, so maybe sometimes with romantic, romantic eyes, we might say that was idealistic, but I'm not sure it was always great. And often they were dead by they were about 40. So, so much of what we're talking about is a bit like a unique blessing that you can be fit and healthy, which thank God we are, um, and your children grown up, and away, and you're still able to have a life and have an independence. It's actually good news, though it has, of course, some uh, negative aspects. But obviously because of that, you won't find a lot in the Bible about specifically empty nesters. What do you do when your children leave home? It's not, there's not many chapters on that. But what there are are lots of good principles in the Bible that apply to this phase of life and probably all of our phases of life. And I'm going to hand over to Marion to pick up a bit of the um, sort of biblical principles that we found helpful. Okay, thank you. Hello, nice to meet you all. Um, yeah, so John's done some big brush, brush strokes, really, and kind of just put the whole empty nester thing in a, in a fairly broad um, cultural setting. And I'm just going to begin to to dig into how we really handle it. Uh, later on, or in, John will pick up again about how we handle ourselves in this time and also how we kind of handle the relationship with our, with our grown-up children, whatever kind of setting they happen to be in. Um, so, yeah, to start with, I really just want to look at one big, broad... Um, kind of biblical aspect of it all which will apply to lots and lots of different situations. Um, to be quite honest, if you've had children, and I guess that's going to be the most of us here, you will have al already experienced lots of changes. You just have to think about it. You start off um, hopefully as a couple and in a way, that is a, a, a different phase of empty nesting. It is another empty nesting thing. And it's something that you can actually look back to and be grateful for and remember those times. It, it's kind of helpful when you enter this, this new bit. Um, but if you've had children, you know a lot of seasons of change already. You've had the disruption of babies. You've had the disruptions of wakeful nights, thinking, when will I ever get a night's sleep again? Will it ever be possible? And then as the children go to school, um, the wife particularly, in, in 
our generation and particularly the next generations are having to seriously think about their own employment and, and career again, that sort of thing. So there's the whole returning to work, juggling, work, home life. How do you sort all that out? That is a changing season. And then the teens begin to grow on to, in, to independence and that has some challenges, again, just teenagers living at home. And then you meet this stage, the empty nest stage. Before you know it, they are on their way out and off and flapping their own wings. But then it goes on. What happens next? It might not be long and you're, you find yourself facing retirement. Life is never static. It changes and changes and changes. And really, we've got to think about how we, how we handle change in any situation. Those are all generally good and healthy points in a normal situation. But you could already have been through some really quite traumatic times. You might have faced redundancy. You could have moved location and had to start new friendship groups, things like that all over again. You could have faced ill health in either one or either of you as a couple. Possibly bereavement. Possibly you're left a widow or a widowhood. And, I mean, we just honour these people. That, that has its challenges. But there are some, perhaps some sad, other sad situations. There might be marital problems. There might be separation and divorce. So all of these things churn stuff up in us, don't they? And think, how are we going to handle this? How do we do it? And actually, we've got to throw ourselves back on God. Uh, another, just, just off the top of my head, the, um, Andrew and Rachel Wilson the other morning, I didn't, didn't go to their seminar, but if you've lived with, with sort of severely... Um, Oh, what's the word I want? Special needs type children. I mean, that is a huge challenge and you just have to be thrown back on God. So I suppose I really want to ask, put in a nutshell, how are we going to cope and survive well during any challenge or change in life? And I just love what Paul says in Philippians. This is Philippians 4 and I'm just going to read it. It's uh, verse 11 to 13. Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to be in plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So Paul is, is writing that, and it, and it is applicable to, I believe, this context. It, he's writing it in the context of want and plenty, in the context of change and challenge. Interestingly enough, I think we often read that last little bit. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
And we often think of that as something we want to achieve, something we feel God's calling us to. But in the context here, in Paul's context, he's saying, he's saying that Christ's strength makes me content. That the, the goal he's aiming at here is, is to be content. And actually the message puts it rather well, I think. It gives a, a different slant on it. The message version says on that verse, wherever I am, whatever I have, I can make it through any, anything in the one who makes me who I am. And I think there is perhaps the key. But just picking one or two things out of this, it says... Um, the, uh, the encouraging thing is, Paul had to learn it. I have learned to be content. It's something he had to learn. And if I think if Paul had to learn it, so do we. So it gives us hope as well. And then he says, there's a secret. So what is the secret? I've learned the secret of being content. And I honestly believe it's tied up in this phrase that the message brings out, or Christ can give me strength for it, but I have learned the secret. It's through him in the one, which is Christ Jesus. So again, this is where our rock-bottom answers have got to come from. Like any other challenge in life, we have to often, because it stirs up all sorts of emotions, which we'll touch on later, but it stirs up all this stuff in us and we have to get right back to basics again. What do we really believe about God? What do we really believe about life and what we're here for? And we have to remind ourselves where we're rooted and grounding, grounded. Actually, also, if our hope... Often we can think, oh, say, oh, things will be better when... Things will be better when the kids are at school. Things will be better when I'm back at work. Things will be this, that, and everything else. But if our hope's in favourable circumstances, we're never going to get there. Favourable circumstances don't answer those things right deep in us. We're never going to be satisfied. And then you find when the kids are gone, you start saying, you can do, oh, I wish they were at home again. You can look back that way. You know, you'll never be happy if you're just looking for favourable circumstances. A little line tucked away in the Proverbs 31 woman, which, which I love. She says she can laugh at the days to come. How, you might ask? Well, once again, Proverbs will tell us, as you know, because she's a woman who fears the Lord. So it's in the end, the bottom line is it's all about trusting God, taking hold of his promises, knowing that our lives are in his hands. And just to, to, to finish, really, I just want to talk, just talk about, very quickly, three basic building blocks of, of the Christian life which come out in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope and love. So we've said this is a change in time and we have to dig in again 
to the goodness and faithfulness of God because he is the firm foundation for our faith. Life is constantly changing, but he is constantly faithful and he will be faithful. We can look back at the past in this time and have hopefully some good memories and just recall God's blessings. And I mean, we can honestly do that through all the ups and downs, um, which we're not going to be unrealistic. We have experienced some pretty heartbreaking times. Um, but we can see God's goodness in that and we can see how he's answered prayers. When you get beyond a stage, you can often look back and you can count your blessings through it. So the firm foundation of faith, where is our faith? And then we have to remember God gives us hope. Without God, we are, we are without hope. But God does give us hope, not just beyond the grave, but he gives us hope for this life. Surely, goodness and mercy, Psalm 23, will follow us all the days of our life. It's talking about life. And in Isaiah 46, there's a little bit about, even to my old age and grey hair, he will carry me, he will sustain me. And that means he will, he will carry us, he will sustain us through the emotions um, as we get old physically and actually it's the spiritual bit that really counts and then just picking up on the love of God Jude says keep yourselves in the love of God even if you're in a traumatic season remember the love of God the love of God for you but actually keep working at love for your spouse Keep looking outward as well, love for others. You need to love your kids, yes, but don't get so absorbed. Just my advice would be don't get so absorbed that you cut yourself off from, from other people. Um, you know, please don't run away if times are tough. You often see in church situations, people can just hide away when they're in tough times. The answers somehow are going to be found too amongst the body of Christ and we've had support and help from the, from the body of Christ. So however all-consuming the season might be or however problematic it might be and all-consuming of your time and energy, just please try and keep in touch with your, with your church friends. As I say, we're not unrealistic to it. Um, the time with our daughter that's, that John's referred to, I mean, I honestly, personally, I faced some very black and bleak days. Um, but, and I can remember, <sighs> embarrassing as it is, I would spend Sunday after Sunday worship, just pouring my eyes out. But I was there... I, I know it was worth it. I was there amongst God's people who loved me and wanted to and prayed for us. My, did they pray for us? Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot to be grateful for from that aspect of it. So, a bit of biblical background, and, and now we move on again. Thanks, love. So, we're going to try and be practical in. We've got, we're doing well on time so far, famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> we want to look at uh, handling the emotions of the empty nest period, which we won't spend an awfully long time on because they weave into other things. 
marriage after the children leave home and uh, relating to your adult children and if we've got time but we want to have question and answer maybe a little bit about other relationships in this period so the partners of your adult children and their in-laws even some of these things can get quite complicated so we'll see how far we go and some of it may be come out in a bit of q a at the end just a, a little bit on the emotions of this time when you're at empty nester i mean uh i think we genuinely didn't have a particularly negative uh, experience of it. Uh, we didn't feel that gloomy about it, the emptiness. But I'm going to be honest with you. We, we, it was a huge joy element that Chloe was married to an excellent, godly young man. That's our daughter with a little b- baby boy who was two. So, you know, that was uh, just a, a grace of God breakthrough moment. Now, that wasn't, you know, we had other, Esther was still around. But, you know, I think that because our kids um, happened to have the joy and the grace of God to go off and marry, uh, in, uh, you know, great partners, and uh, one felt that they, you know, they had left, left us to cleave to another and, the, you know, there was the basis of future. You, you know, it was a very positive experience. I know that's not everybody's. And, and so for us, there was a, a lot of positive to it. But I think we can understand how, the, you know, the mi- mixture of emotions that can go with that. And obviously, as pastoral leaders in a church, you understand the complexities. For some, we experience some of it ourselves, as you heard. And um, reading books, of which we will recommend two at the end, Marion, because, ne- I mean, they're all from America. We need some English people to write on this. I think they all are. Uh, and, and, you know, you feel in some degrees that they seem to emphasise the negatives, actually. Um, so we know that some people really struggle, and we do re- understand that. I think for, for my observation is that the emptiness period can often coincide with some other tumultuous emotional periods, such as menopause, uh, which was uh, interesting. Uh, Marianne, no, there's nothing negative about it, but you were... <laughs> Well, it was quite a lot negative about it. But I mean, you, that probably was roughly around that time. That was quite interesting. Just to add that in there. Then I think for the, for the man, there can be a, a sort of male version, which is like, is that it? Have I achieved everything? Or am I just going to grind on with this for the next 10 or 15 years? And I think guys can feel quite um, a sort of midlife crisis of some sort or other. This isn't quite what I'd hoped. I thought I'd do better than this or worse you know it's not worked out and so that unfortunately it could get into a mix of rather negative emotions and, and i think we've got to talk about that perhaps a little more as we get into marriage after the children left home i think some people are almost surprised themselves at how negative they feel we've heard many tales of people who you know particularly wives perhaps but you know who's, who's, who cry a lot after the last kid leaves home you know so after the wedding or the taking them the last one to university are very very upset and uh, i think behind that is like well there's a 25 years of my life ending here you know who am i now um and all that sort of thing which i i think i can understand i think there can be a quietness at home which is not totally positive it's like oh it used to be so buzzy i was having to be a taxi service all the time and you know there was always somebody wanted food or someone raising the fridge in the middle of the night or i'm having to dish out meals to all the friends that come home and and suddenly it's ever so quiet and there's just me and this aging old bloke the other end or the aging 
old lady, the other end of the table. And it's all rather quiet. We don't say very much. We just chew our meals a lot more slowly than we used to. <laughs> How has your day been? Sort of thing. So, oh, this is a bit different. And, and we haven't got all the sort of questions and difficulties and be sort of like a part-time counsellor about relationships or have arguments, to be honest, and uh, noise and, uh, and sort of anger as well as joy. So, but it's all activity, isn't it? And you suddenly think, wow, that's gone a bit quiet. Now, some people, I think, get over... And I, I do make, want to make a serious point here. I think I'll let that overwhelm you. And it may be the mixture of the things so that it could be the change of life things as well, but it, you get quite down and quite negative and a bit miserable and maybe a little bit hang on to your kids in some way emotionally as a bit of a like, maybe a bit of sentiment and maybe a little bit of like, I need you. Can I say with love, I think you need to work through in God that you don't do that because I would say it's good for your children to see you doing okay when they've left home that they don't feel they've done something wrong in leaving or that you need them. I, I, I think if you can do hard yards of work in your heart, it's well worth it. Uh, I don't think it's particularly helpful for them, for you, for example, this is a personal view, you may feel Q&A, for you to feel you've got to phone them every day to see how they are and, and still worry about them every day. I mean, if they're a proper adult, fully, you've given them 18 years of your life or 20 years of their life, and, and you know, you've done your best, they are flapping their own wings. We'll talk about some detail later, but I think, I think it's great for kids to feel mum and dad, or even mum or dad, if it depends where the city is, is doing okay. And, and so, I think I can dare to say, I think so, that ours seem to quite like coming back to stay um, in fact, it, we call it Hotel Grove sometimes, although there's Hotel Sweeney just down the road. and They've got a choice, some of them. But, um, <laughs> but you, you know, you think, I want that. I want them to say, even though it's a slight, sometimes it's almost like, oh, okay. <laughs> we, we were, right, through the summer, we've had all three families, you know, and, and that's fine, but it's sort of like sometimes quite busy. But you think it's great that they want to come and that we're not, you know, crying as they leave and say, oh, you haven't got to go back yet. But, you know, so I personally think it's good to take on board what Marion said and find contentment in God to release them. But there are challenges and there are special pressures. And there can be a sense of like, well, what, what, what about me now? And where am I now? And I think, and I speak personally, I think there are moments in life, and this can be one, when you are aware of your mortality. <laughs> you think, oh, right. You know, especially if your parents have died, you think, well, I'm next in the queue. Uh, I don't know if you think like that, but I do. <laughs> and, and you sort of, you think, oh, gosh. So that, that we're now into the, the sort of more final phase, quarter, we'll call it what you like. I think we can enjoy God in it. I think we can take on board all we know and do well. But let's acknowledge it can get in a mix of emotions that can feel, can feel negative. But the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And what Marion says, right, we have got to find our contentment in God in every era of our lives, including this one. It really, really is true. And it's a good time to dig into God and find new ways to refocus. Um, you know, maybe find some new ministry, maybe a big move. Maybe it's a time for you to, I don't know, be part of a church plant or something. But, but even on a much smaller scale... 
I think, you can correct me here if I'm wrong, I think our quiet times improved when we were empty nesters. Well, that would be my observation, although I think Marion was doing quite a lot of bird watching upstairs sometimes. But, you, you know, we seem to, because she seemed to know more about what the birds were having. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's a cuckoo, or whatever it was. So I think we, uh, it wasn't cuckoo, woodpecker. So I, what I'm trying to say is I noticed that we had more time for God, it appeared. And I think we have benefited. I think we, we are able, you know, when the children are at home, I don't know about you, but you know, it's quite hard to get 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, but you can actually get up and, and spend time with God. I mean, it's about self-discipline still. That doesn't change. But there is space. And you can actually, you know, if you want to watch uh, a download of a preach in the evening, you can do it without someone coming in saying, what are you watching? Oh, I want more religious stuff. Can I watch that? And, you know, you, you you can actually do what you want. And if what you want is to spend more time digging into God, you can do that. And I think that's an important thing to remember. We need to accept the change. We need to embrace it. Perhaps we'll have a weep over it. But it is the new normal and we need to think, Lord, how am I now going to make this positive and fruitful time in my life? Because it can be, I think, very fruitful. My personal feeling is that this privilege of new empty nest generation, and it's, although I'm not sure it's going to last, but the privilege that many of us can uh, actually uh, have pensions, for example. Uh, I, I, you know, the, our generation maybe has been a little more privileged than our children will be on that. So there's a certain freedom that can creep in into the 60s and so on, health and things. I think we need to think, how do we serve that in God? How does that help us? How can we be able to, to contribute to something? I mean, God will show you, but I think you can think. This is actually... Um, uh, you know, your full-time parenting may be history, but you're not history. <laughs> and by God's grace, you can enter this new phase of life. I think an important thing, do you want, I'm going to say the marriage bit, and then I'll give you a pause. I think the important thing to talk about for a moment is marriage after the children leave home. I think if you have a good relation, and we'll talk about, I'll talk about single parents in a moment, and obviously that's more from observation, but I think there are things to say there too. If you have a good relationship with your spouse, I think you should genuinely look forward to this phase. Now, I speak, we speak as empty nesters for how long? Since 2003, I've just said. Didn't I? For many years then, whatever the date. What's the date today? I'm getting a bit old. 16 years, 15 to 16 years. I think you should look forward to it. Now, age does take its toll eventually, but at the beginning, it was like a second honeymoon for us. You think, oh, crumbs, crumbs. We could, oh, we've got a bit of freedom when we want to make love. Oh, we don't have to bolt the door and go all quiet. And I, I, I think there's a new liberty in your house. And you, and, 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 you know, you can go out when you want to go out. You go to the cinema that evening. You can go and have a nice walk. On a sun, Sunday evening, you haven't got to think, what are the kids? When we've got to pick them up? Oh, I, I better tell someone, text them, make sure they know where we are. And, you know, because we're often more responsible than they are, aren't we? And all of that oh, goes. You think, wee, they're off, married. Someone else can worry about them. <laughs> or even at uni, they're looking after themselves pretty well. And, uh, <laughs> okay, we haven't got to check with anyone. We want to go to bed at 8 o'clock, we can. If we want to go out all night, we can. 
So I think, I think why not? <laughs> I think, you, you know, let's spin it round and think about it. as, And it is a positive and it is a freedom. Uh, uh, maybe in lots of ways you can think how, how you develop. We actually developed some new love of walking we go, go out love walking and we do our bird watching which is a little bit of a joke with our kids we get a few sucky comments but our bird watching developed in the empty nester phase um, well it couldn't possibly have done it before honestly and 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 so when we go out walking marion liked it because it made me slow up and look at things oh look there's a nut hatch you know and things like that and that slowed me up so i didn't make her <laughs> march but actually, we both got into it in the end, didn't we? And, and that was a, an empty nester thing, something we could do together. Now, quite seriously, if your relationship together isn't what it once was, you may face this much more soberly. You may think, I, I'm not sure how we're going to do here. And I, I do know that from uh, picking it up and obviously pastoral responsibilities. You may even think, how are we going to make it through and one has occasionally seen, sadly, even in Christian homes, that, that it was almost the children that kept people together. Um, I, now, I don't think you need to give up, even if it feels as bad as that. And I trust it won't be for many, but it can be. But it certainly can be that you feel like semi-strangers because life does this sort of thing. I mean, if you've got teenage kids, which you will have had, presumably, as the natural process we talked about, it's, I think it's as full-on as when they're babies, if not worse, really, because they don't go to bed early. So, you, 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 know, um, you know, you're trading off a couple of feeds in the night against sitting up till midnight and wondering where they are, and then they, you know, and whatever. So, I think you've, you've probably both been... You, various things can happen. You've either both been very busy with your separate lives, like separate jobs or maybe one, in perhaps more our setting, more slightly traditional, if you like. Mum's been very wrapped up with the children. Dad's been very much off with the work, almost married to his job. Um, and that can happen to pastors as well, married to the church. And suddenly, you're like semi-strangers. The other thing is maybe you're both busy in a job, and the thing you've had in common is the children. That's the project that you've been able to engage in together and talk about and worry about and stuff and suddenly the thing that most links you together is gone and you've got these two separate work worlds which you haven't over uh, linked before now whatever way it happens I think you need to resolve we're going to reconnect with each other I mean I think you need to resolve it you say now we're not going to accept this passively say oh this is how it is and we're going to uh, let it be that. You, you've got to say, how are we going to address this? What is God going to give us to do? How are we going to take this opportunity to reconnect with each other and adjust? You may have to have some significant talks together. It might even be good to take deliberate time out. Um, I did advise a couple not very long ago, not in a uh, Hope Church, I don't want you trying to guess anywhere, but who, who this was a real issue. I said, I think, you know, the last one goes home, left home, you ought to have a quality holiday and sit and talk about it. Now, they weren't in crisis, but it was a bit like, well, you know, it's like he's been married to his job and with the children kept, that one where the children were the project that 
Oh, you know, we're semi-strangers to each other. Right, well, I think you, you're going to address this. You're going to say, we're going to do some apologising maybe, some mutual, try not to make mutual blame, try to be humble and honouring of each other, try and say, look, come on, we've got, we, we could have, by God's grace, easily in modern world, you could have another 20 plus years or 30 maybe together. Let's, let's really say, God, we want to make this most. Let's almost rekindle our relationship. And I think you need to do stuff that is almost like courting again. So you need to have quality time. You need to think, right, we're going to put, put planning and purpose into it. We're going to do stuff together, perhaps some new things, uh, ministry even, serving together. And I would say why this is so important, apart from the obvious morality, is I think it's worth remembering that our primary relationship is with our spouse. That is more primary, that's fundamental even to our children. In fact, the children have grown out of that relationship, obviously. And actually, our children leaving home, as I said at the beginning, is fine. In actual fact, it is good even if there's a few wrinkles in it, and there may be some, it's essentially what we aimed at. It's the goal of having the nest to get it empty. But actually, with my spouse, it's till death us do part. My, nobody's supposed to be leaving out of us two. The goal with our three children, for them to leave home, that is totally healthy and totally good, even if we're coping with a few bumps of emotions. If one of us were to leave, that is wrong and disastrous, putting it very bluntly, and I'm talking about us. So, uh, now that's put bluntly, but it, to get you to think, well, actually, th- these, th- we don't, in the mo- we're not going to sit around saying, well, maybe, you know, should we, is it going to work? Yeah, in God it's going to work. Let's work at it. Let's, let's, let's really give ourselves to our relationship. Are we willing to work as hard on our marriage as perhaps we worked for our children, particularly when we were trying to help them with their homework and trying to get them through their A-levels and trying to work out which school they went to. And some of us get very angsty about it all and which which university they go to. You work like stink for them. Now they work like stink for each other. And and let's let's really give give it uh, a chance. And actually, it could be a real joy. Um, Maybe you need to go back and remember what it was like, not when the children were there, but before. I hope that would be a good memory. And think, well, yeah, when we started, we, it was great. <laughs> and, and I'm going to say something personal. It's not, not quite that, but when we came to Winchester, it, we, we hit the empty nest phase, which was quite strange um, because the Winchester church are lovely. And I'm not just saying that because there's a stack of them here. They're great. But they've only known us, in effect, as empty virtually empty nesters so all our history with kids good and bad is back in this other church so there we would have had families with children of our age we related to we you know all the stuff you can understand they'd have seen our kids bawling their eyes out not wanting to go out into children's meetings and then uh, obviously a dramatic incident later so we've gone through lots of good things and bad things and youth groups and all the rest of it and and none of that is it's no, nobody at Winchester I see something nobody knows anything about that so it's like, all oh right, we're like, we're a blank sheet of paper to them, and uh, very nice to us, and we're they're nice people, but they don't know our history. And and then our kids have gone home, gone from home, and and so we can feel a bit funny, a bit disorientated. Actually, God was with us, and the church was wonderful, and we didn't feel 
funny, but I tell you a very positive thing. It was a time of reflection. I realised I'm married to my best friend, and my best friend had come with me. I'm serious. I, I'm not sure I would have said that ten years earlier. I, would, I mean, we were, we were husband and wife, we loved each other, and we had kids. And, but actually, you know, we had lots of relationships in the church in Hastings, male and female, you know, people we knew, couples, whatever, like you do. Can't be in a church for 40 years, 30 years and not. And... Um, but I realised we, we were friends. And that was a very valuable aspect to, to work on and to think about. Now you might say, well, yeah, I think it's a chance to provoke that. It, you know, it's not just about being lovers and everything else, but it's friendship too. And, and trying to work through, because we're very different. I mean, Marion likes quilting and is very, very good at it. It's not my, I mean, I, I don't, I, would, if I, could, I can't stick a stamp on straight. I'm serious. I really try and it's always crooked. I mean, Marion's just such a straight eye, such a true eye. It's ridiculous. So, you know, we've learned over the years, it took me about 15 years to be humble enough for Marion to tell me all the things to do and I'm just the labourer and drill the holes and screw them on. Because if I do them, they're all at funny angles. So, with shelves and stuff. So, you know, Marion is just... But, but I've got a bit into appreciating quilting. I really have. I, th- I mean, some of it's very good and very clever, and I'm very proud of her. Now, Marion, I like reading and I like history and politics, which Marion is never that interested in. But I feel you've tried quite hard <laughs> to, to engage me a bit and done well. I think Brexit's helped, hasn't it? <laughs> One of the benefits of Brexit is Marion keeps asking me, so what is, so, and I'm struggling too, you know, what, what does it mean about the, what they can do and vote and, you know, and, uh, and so we've actually, we've actually got quite wired in on the current affairs in the last four, three or four years. So I, I'm, I've always been interested, but you, you, you know, and then there was the bird watching thing, so which that was a totally separate we developed together. But I think you have to be prepared. You haven't got to totally you know try and be silly about it but to find things where you can show appreciation and understanding for each other and uh, for what they're interested in i'll say one thing on single well a few things on single parents i don't know if you want to say anything on the married thing before i move on i'm flowing along aren't i better for questions i'm at what marion said yeah and we can both answer no that's right and i'm running out of time if i'm not careful i think For a single parent, I say this with real uh, care and compassion, I think it can be more painful probably than for us as couples because you really are being left with an empty nest and uh, maybe it will feel extremely lonely. And I think it's totally understandable if that's a a big big hit. Um, I, I think as I observe single parents, and some of them have handled this very well, I think there is a slight danger if you've been a single parent that as your children have got older, they may have fulfilled a few of the roles that a partner might have done. Quite innocent things, like if if he's a decent young man, your son, he's probably helped round the house in a way a husband might have done. You know, hopefully he's used his strong arms and done tasks for you and picked things up or even carried the shopping and as simple as that. But maybe he's got more skills and... He's done stuff. Maybe a daughter has been a confidant and a bit of a, a, a friend to talk to, maybe even to discuss, I don't know, clothes and things with. And so you, you have got a quite a loss. And, and I think you have got, by God's grace, to be able to do what we've all got to do and, and let them 
go in that sense, love them and still connect with them, but let them become an independent adult and not think, oh, I've virtually lost my, my other half. And I think that must be tough. And I'm not belittling it, but I think it's worth doing for their sake so that they don't feel an, uh, a slightly unhealthy, de- that you're unhealthily dependent on them. Uh, I hope you'll have a close relationship and be able to really bless them and help them. And uh, you are in a position that can be turned around very positively. You, you can seek God's help because you have got a certain freedom. That's how Paul looked on singleness rather remarkably. And it's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 7 where he said single men and single women were able to be more devoted to the Lord. Well, what does devoted to the Lord mean for you? I just leave you that question. How can I be more devoted to the Lord? I don't mean you're going to go and be in a nunnery or a monastery or something. I'm, I'm not being silly. I mean, you know, it could mean there's some ministry for you that you can really find and discover. And that could be true for any of us, by the way. Uh, but there is a sense in which Paul says there's something special, and he sees it as a privilege, about being a single person. There's stuff you could be quite radical about, maybe. An area of service, or maybe serving younger singles in the church, or, or being a surrogate grandparent to some couple that really needs some help. Uh, um, I don't know. But I think all of us, whatever, single or married, need to think that the end of this first this phase is not the end of everything. In fact, it could be the door to a new fruitful period of service. And just like the married couples may have to be intentional about, I think they do have to be, about work reworking on their relationship, maybe a single parent needs to be intentional about f- how they dig in with their friends and their relationships and uh, you know, maybe go out of their way to uh, connect with others of like, like situation or whatever it is, trusted friends, build, build new um, networks of friendship. But, moving on really, relating to those children, single or married, you, I think, can have similar battles in relating to your adult children. I mean, if your relationship with the kids is good, that's great, but you'll probably miss them anyway. If your relationship with them wasn't very good, you may feel struggle, you may feel regret, you may feel awkwardness uh, with them. But I think either way, you need to think through carefully how, how you relate to them. I'm looking at my notes. I don't want to be too long. I, I've al- we've always said on parenting things that you, you're, with your children, particularly um, maybe even with things where it's difficult, not, not the nice bits always, it sort of moves as they grow from command to counsel to concern. So when they're small, there's command. It's right. But that will move to counsel uh, rather than command. And there's a whole thing to unpack there, but that happens really uh, even as you go through teens. And then by the time you're empty nester, I don't think you can command them on anything, (laughs) to be honest. And I think the counsel you will give will be best when they ask for it or clearly want it or need it. So you're left with concern, which never goes. Concern is not anxiety, but it's expressing care and concern. How are you doing? You've been very busy. I still say that to my kids. And they obviously point the finger and say, well, we learned how to be busy from you. But, but um, you know, I mean, it's a good relationship. But you're concerned and ask questions. and just. But try not to 
string that into command and counsel. Do you know what I mean? Well, you shouldn't be doing it. Well, no, no, think how you say it. You're, you're showing concern, and your concern will be focused in prayer sometimes. I mean, I think praying for them is very important. We would pray uh, for our kids. That's the main thing we pray about together. A lot of, I mean, we do pray about other things, like the church and stuff. But, but to be honest, we do pray about the kids quite a bit. And they know we do. And they like to tell us, look, they, they ask us to. And they take, you know, job interviews, kids, things with the grandchildren, which I'm pleased they do feel they ask us to. Um, and, and there's a whole book on praying for your adult children by Stormio somebody or other. Our motion. It's an American. You wouldn't know, would you? But Stormy O. Martian, yeah. But it's a good, okay book. I'm not, I'm sorry, it sounded very dismissive. But it, it's a whole book on one subject, which I think might be a little bit padded out. But it's, it's good, got some good stuff in it. I haven't really sold that, have I? But uh, there you go. Um, but it is a whole subject in itself, genuinely. But I think it's a very important thing that you do pray for them. I think it personally, we think it's better to view your adult children as that, as adult children, more like peers, if you like, especially as they get in their 20s and 30s, so that, you know, you don't feel like they're still your kids to command, or to, but you realise that, that how would you relate to another adult on that sort of thing? And I think sometimes it's quite sobering and exciting as well to realise what they do. I mean, I've got, you, I won't go through it all for time's sake, but you think, wow, you do stuff I wouldn't even understand. Um, my son's a, a, a senior pharmacist and got a, a, another son-in-law is a pharmacist, I've got a, you know, they, they do university something or other, PhD, and then the other one it looks after four teenage boys, is a teaching assistant, and you think, and, and you think, and in a troubled school, well, very, very special, very difficult children, um, and you, you admire it, and you think, hang on, I'm not going to be bossing this person around, I'm, they're another adult, they're handling stuff I don't, some of it I don't even understand, they they are dealing with all sorts of pressures at work that I didn't have to have and things like that. And so I think, you know, they will make their decisions and, and, and if they're making them as best you can tell for the right reasons, treat them with that respect as a fellow adult that you might express your concern or your prayers will express or you might pop a little something in, but you'll do it just like you would to another adult, not with any sense I'm telling you what to do. I think that's a wise course, personally, uh, to stick to. Um, and if they are making choices which are wholesome, but are not what you'd wanted for them, like maybe they've decided they want to be single and celibate for their lives, or they, they decided they want to be a missionary in another country, or they want to go into the military, or they want to be an Anglican vicar. These are things that I think might be, <laughs> maybe not to you, but to me, might give you, oh, right, okay, I hadn't thought. But, but actually, if they're making a good decision, uh, you know, as best you can understand, you just treat it as a fellow adult's decision, you know. You might, like you would say to a, any a, a younger adult in the church who might be making, you think, right, okay, just why would you do that? Okay, yeah, pray that God opens the door for you, or whatever you do. So you... I think that's a good way to think uh, about your children and step aside and let them have their own walk with God. They will face real, real challenges and uh, sometimes you'll want to get in there and organise it for them and 
re, re, retake over as mum and dad. But I think if possible, you don't. There's a thing here I'm reading in front of me. Paul Tripp wrote this. Successful parenting is the rightful, God-ordained loss of control. The goal of parenting is to work ourselves out of a job. And uh, that is it. <laughs> and you support them and love them and uh, help them as best you can. And you try, if they do hit a problem, they d things do go a bit pear-shaped, you try not to stray into the I told you so or the anger or the fear or the criticism sort of emotion. But you try and handle it as you would another adult with, with some degree of compassion, maybe firmness sometimes, but a little bit more thought about how you, how you respond to them. And uh, I'm just looking at my notes because I don't want to go on too long here, but there's, there's some useful stuff I think I picked up in one of our books reading. It's a bit similar to what I've said. Think about your circle of responsibility and your circle of care. The circle of care is quite big, the circle of responsibility might be quite small. They do overlap with your adult children, but they're by no means the same thing. Uh, someone else said, you can do what you can do, and that's what you can do. So, you know, you, that, that's what you can do. You can't run their lives for them. You can't... And sometimes it's good they do learn through certain mistakes. So, you know, you can't rush to bail them out always on a cash thing. They may need to work through that unwise uh, action or poor stewardship or whatever. You know, they need to find answers elsewhere than just the bank of mum and dad, perhaps. Now, there are big issues like sickness or a marriage collapse or a bereavement or these things where you will really want to give them your help and rightly should. And they may even result in them coming back home in some of those worst-case scenarios because you need to care for them. But I think even when they do try and treat them as another adult in need of help rather than they're back to where they used to be <laughs> as your child under your roof. And I think you will need to talk that through with them. I mean, if they're capable of paying their way, I think you should... I think any adult children should pay their way at home to some degree. I, my, uh, Paul and Chloe, Charlie's 19. He's still working at home. He didn't go to uni. He's got a job obviously quite modestly paid early days, they make sure he's, he's paying some rent because that's preparing him for life. Because otherwise he, he, he won't get, if he's just fritting it all away, he won't never be able to live on his own. And actually when Chloe was at home with, with the baby Charlie, we had to find ways, we got her to, uh, Marion found this difficult, but it was the right thing to do. We got her to do the cooking and cleaning, um, uh, we got her to, uh, we're shopping I think, because we said, well you're going to learn to run a home and you're at home now as a, a, a young adult with a baby, uh, you know, it's your baby and you've got to feel like, how do I run life with this baby? Now, that was put more thoughtfully than my two minute summary, but it was a proper chunky conversations and, and we're sort of preparing you for when you might be living as a single mum on your own. So, uh, we've got to think, build in how you handle that and depending on the the situation you're in then i would say and we had this with chloe to a degree we're thinking about this will not go on forever we probably don't expect you to be here with charlie when he's going to school <laughs> now god gave us an answer earlier than that but we didn't use that in a heavy way and i would be reluctant to always put time barriers but i think there need to be conversations early on well where's this going 
What, what are we looking at? We're looking for you to get another job or to be back on your feet or to, to find another, uh, you know, to get over whatever it is and find whatever, you know. I mean, I can't, I don't want to make it all up. But I think you need to think and be open because it, it's almost like we all agree that this is fine for the moment, this is not ideal. You're now an adult and we want to try and get you there by God's grace. I think that's healthy and I'm saying too much. Marion, do you want to add anything on that before we have questions? You probably don't, do you? No. I know. Yeah, a woman, a few words. That's fine. I'm a man of many words and we get through together. I think it would be good for us to have a bit of Q&A. It's a hot afternoon and rather than me... Uh, we've got a few other scenarios that we were going to... I mean, you could come up in the q and I'll tell you what they are. Things like how you hand the sandwich bit when you get the older ones as well. Older parents, I mean, not older children, yes. Because we've had that quite a long time, really. Um, and uh, also your adult children's partners. Sometimes that throws up some challenges. And their in-laws. <laughs> that has never been a problem, by the way. <laughs> Honestly, it hasn't. I mean it. I do mean it. Mark and Sue are... Uh, um, Alex is married to Esther. Alex is their son. I can't remember what that means. You're so related. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but we are genuinely blessed, and I mean it, in all three of our kids are married not only to great partners, but they've got great parents. Oh, you know, one lady's a widow. But, you know, we get on well with them. And, but I know some of us, it's nothing like that. They have a totally different value system. There may be a different religion. They may be, I mean, you may be dealing with all sorts of things. Um, Same-sex relationships. I do understand there's complications about that. And we can answer some questions. I've got some notes on it. But I, to be honest with you, it would be foolish for me to rattle on all afternoon. So... Let's talk briefly about the books and have questions. Shall we? Um, we really found it quite difficult to find much that we felt was quality on, um, on books on empty nesters. But there are two over in the bookshop. This one, we, I would say, is, is probably the best kind of overview. overview. It's called Empty Nest, What's Next? And it is by Michelle Howe. There were more there. I think there's only one now. So that's a race, if you'd like that one. It's short chapters, and it addresses a huge spectrum of different aspects of being empty nest. So it's a very, very good one. This little one, there's more of these in the bookshop. It's The Empty Nest... Finding Hope in Your Changing Job Description by Elsie Fitzpatrick. It is brief. Um, it's an overview, again, a very quick overview. Uh, they are both written by women. This one particularly, I feel... It's good, it's, good, it's fine, but if, if you're the husband, the dad you're going to have to just ignore some of her examples and turn them into men's examples. I mean, there are similarities. Um, actually, they all seem to be written by women, most of them, don't they? Which is, a, I don't know, maybe women feel it more intently and, and that, that's the reason why. So anyone out there with a budding desire to write a book, there you go, <laughs> you could try it. While I'm here, I'm going to be really, really cheeky. Um, 
I just want to push my own husband's dear new, uh, my dear husband's new edition of Foundations. If you've not ever seen it, it's a very good basic uh, fill in the gaps type of book for, for new Christians. Very good for um, laying good foundations in church. Um, very good for church for using in church, in small groups, new Christians. I'm just pushing it. I've got loads of these cards at the front here. There are individual copies in the bookshop available, um, but this will also give you um, John's own website details where you, if you want to order church packs or read it and push it towards your church leadership. My little plug for my hubby oh, well, there. <laughs> okay, yeah, Can we've we got the mics. Uh, questions for any of you? John, I'd just like to make a quick comment about Annette because we're another decade or plus older than you. Um, and in that time, two of our children and five of our seven grandchildren have settled in Australia, which is another challenge. And I just wanted to make an observation that the best way to deal with it, as we found, is to be part of the adventure rather than seeing it as a negative thing, actually it opens up a whole host of new experiences for us as well, as long as health allows. That's very helpful. That's not what we've experienced. They're all in the UK. Yeah. That's a really helpful comment. Thank you. First, a big thank you. agree with all you said. Like you, we're 10 years on as well and have four children and 13 grandchildren. And if the grandchildren are doing the same things now as the children do. But there's one area I would like you just to mention. The empty nesters have great opportunities to go on the other side, as we heard in the meeting. The opportunities are immense. We have four years in Hong Kong, then seven years doing pastoral work in and out of China through these 10 years. There are tremendous opportunities. We know right now of a need in Hong Kong. So if there's a couple who have pastoral giftings and want to do spend two years in Hong Kong, let us know. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I, I just would want to reinforce that. I think it's a very good, I didn't over push it, I'd said it a few times, but I would say it's quite an exciting opportunity with modern travel and modern communications to, to think, you know, church plant, overseas, whatever. Maybe not for ever, maybe just for a year or two, but what an adventure, if God leads you that way. Yeah, any other questions? Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're doing exactly what you did. Our son's getting married next year, but in five weeks' time, we're actually moving into ministry um, from where they're going to be moving to. And I've been feeling guilty. Is that right or not? 
commands actually leaving them behind and we're going to... <laughs> oh, well, that's what we did, isn't it? Did you feel... That's a good question for you, love. So, so your son is... Yeah, they, they, he's living yeah, with them. They move away yeah, and he yeah. has to, yeah. I think, um, yeah, Elizabeth, I think, interestingly, we went to a wedding once. Um, we'll see where this is going in a minute. We went to a wedding once. It was in another nation. And they got the parents up. It wasn't exactly part of the marriage vows. It was a little extra addition. And they asked that the... The guy doing the wedding, he asked the parents publicly, um, will you leave them so that they can please? Will you allow them to leave a home to their new, new spouse, obviously? Um, but in a way, I think it's similar. You know, they do go out and come to the point where you go in your work and they're standing on their own feet. And it is a time of letting them, really letting them go. And I think it's good for parents to, to let them flap their wings and really let them go. And, and you can you build another nest in a few ways. Yeah. You start again somewhere and, and you build your own, I know. Norman feel guilty. Norman feel guilty. Well, no, you, no, I know, I, I know how to, she didn't feel guilty, but you would have done if Chloe hadn't got married, you'd have felt very guilty. Yeah, you've got to be real. I know, I am, yeah. I'm trying to be real. I know, but. Is, is it normal to feel guilty? I didn't feel guilty about Luke or Esther. No, it, I, well, I don't think you have I to feel guilty. Just say about the one that Chloe who had the baby, I would have been, I don't know how I would have had we had had to move to Winchester and leave her on her own. Fortunately, she was she just got married before we left. I honestly don't know how I would handle it, but for God, for God, really, we wouldn't have had to. But that was a so bit specialist, I think, wasn't it? That yeah, that's that what we're not leaving you with. That I'm trying to give an honest talk. Yeah. That sometimes you do battle. That's why we I meant it. Three-hour journey. Three-hour three journey. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, three-hour. Three-hour, yeah. Don't worry. 100 miles to a little 100 miles and one about an hour journey away. I sometimes have regretted that um, I've not been able to help with the babysit at the drop of a hat, not been able to um, help if they're not well or you know, child's ill, they can't get out. In some ways, that's been, I would say, uh, it's a mixture, isn't it? Regret, a bit of guilt. We've had to work it other ways, like being at, being at a distance. You, you have to do, you, you know, FaceTime sometimes, or we have, have them come and stay. Uh, you have a more extended time rather than... Actually, so yeah, I think I, we can... 
Well, I, 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 it's helpful for me. I wanted us, because I wanted to be, give you a real answer. I think it's not totally unnatural to feel that bit of guilt, but I don't think it's guilt you should think that means I've done the wrong thing. I think this is where the parallel with us is like, like with I think that second example is better, the babysitting thing, because, you know, Chloe did get married. That's lovely, and we're grateful to God. And it was a God answer, and it freed us in a way in, a, in our spirit. But, but, but you do feel sometimes, and I think all you can do is hand it over to God. Sometimes we're real with them, say we're sorry we weren't, uh, you know, we're sorry we weren't around when the kids all had chicken pox or whatever. Um, but um, you, you almost there's little compensations, so like they can come and stay. Do you know what I mean? I think you can, and it's not being driven by guilt, but you can do little things that to compensate slightly. It will be slightly different in yours, but. I don't think you should feel that the guilt is something um, particularly like I, that's good. I, I, you know, I, I've done something wrong, and I, I think it's just a natural effect of what you've done, with a little bit of um, is there anything like because what what why are you feeling it like ours was well we were feeling it because we aren't seeing aren't able to help babysit. Oh well, is there anything we can do like have them over to stay to compensate? I don't mean compensate from a guilt exactly, but thinking through why do I feel uneasy and trying to think, well, oh, what can I do about that? Is that helpful or not, or is that too complicated? Yeah, no, a bit. Yeah, sorry about that. What I'm really saying is, I don't think you've done the wrong thing. I honestly don't. But I don't think you're weird to feel a little bit funny about it. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's not weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> we moved to Salisbury three and a half years ago and we experienced empty nests at the same time but our problem is with my dad um, I lost my mum 25 years ago to cancer and we've lost Mike's parents as well and we've just got my dad and we cared for him a lot until we moved to Salisbury and now my um, brother has to look after him and we get immense pressure and guilt put on us by my dad who says a son is a son till he takes a wife, a daughter is a daughter all your life. And then he says, and then my brother, well now we're having to look after him. So, but we, we know God told us really clearly to move to Salisbury and we just have to think, well, he comes to stay with us. We care for him as much as we can. We go back if we really need to. And we're just following what we believe God's told us to do. Well, I, I don't know if that was... I mean, it was good. That's what you've got, the right answer. It's not easy. I mean, it's a bit like our other friend's question just now. There, there are real emotional tensions in it. But... Um, <sighs> I mean, you must do what you can to help, but we can't, in a way, we have left our parents um, to cleave to our partner and to go forward with the life. You know, it's a bit like Ruth, isn't it? Your people and my people are moving on. And, of course, we honour our parents and, and out of genuine compassion do what we can provide, but we can't have our lives the new entity is dictated by that. So it's quite a, a balance, but it's a real issue, isn't it? I mean, if you've got anything to add. I've got uh, just my dad left. Um, I, think, I think in the end, he's, 
do and that's what you can Yeah. Uh, it is a dilemma. The pressures are from siblings, too. Um, but uh, Hannah's very good, but you can feel it on her. That's your sister. Yeah. But, um, you can feel it, like, like Sister. It's like guilt that you're not there. Um, she took the brunt of it in my mum's last day. You know. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. yeah, it is. So it's tricky. <laughs> That's not really an answer to sympathy. No. <laughs> but I think you're going in the right direction. With the, uh, you know, the clear conscience and, you know, you've got to, you can't tie the whole life back there. Anything else? You have a question? Yeah. Sorry. <coughs> it's, it's Phil Bush. Um, can I just add, add to this? It, there's a question of where we are and who we belong to. It seems to me, that, and, and the other question here, fundamentally, isn't it true that we're on a journey with God? And for our children, dedicated to Jesus, they don't primarily belong to us. Primarily, first, they belong to God. That's where we would come. And I, I believe that's what dedication is about, is putting them in God's hands. We still care for them, of course, but and that applies to our own lives. We've got to live in that. Um, and I believe that's the sort of principle we should be moving on, with all the emotions that involves, but number one, they're in God's care, even if they are on the other side of the world. And that we do that from the moment they're born, or before. <laughs> if you give us children, they get. Sorry, I'm not making a question, but a point. Oh, fine, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for the comments. Were there, well, would you mind coming a little? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, mine is on behalf of my sister, if that's okay. My children are teenagers still at home. Um, my only sister has a 20-year-old daughter. Um, my sister and her husband are missionaries in Nicaragua in Central America and have been there for five years. She's now in Exeter University studying law. Um, what my sister is really struggling with is 20-year-old now saying, I've never really had you to myself. As a church mother, she's very much the mother for the students and young people in the church. And I think... It's a, it's a jealousy issue, but at the same time, it means she doesn't relate so well with her mother. So where I'm in the UK, I'm now the auntie that she comes to. The money outlet and everything, I'm, I'm in Bournemouth, so it's easier. But really, my sister just needs a bit of advice as to how do you deal with that. She wants to build that relationship with her, but she's in Central America. 
when she has the opportunity, she does come, but it's really difficult. How do you deal with that? Her daughter is in Exeter University, and I'm in Bournemouth. And you're the one... The one in the middle. Well, you're serving both of them. I mean, I'm not just saying you do well to do that, to be a, a loving aunt, is it? Aunt and surrogate mum in a way. Um, and I mean, you're serving the greater cause of the kingdom by doing that, honestly, because you, if your s sister is able to continue her ministry, I mean, I don't, I don't know how I would advise you uh, to talk to your sister about that, there is a little dilemma sometimes, what the gentleman said here is still true, there's a little dilemma of cost when you serve God sometimes that it does, you know, I don't want to put this badly, but Jesus said, hate family to follow me. It does have a cost for the family and it's painful at times. Um, I mean, pray and show you show as you can the love of God to this, this try and help them to understand. I mean, I can't, I certainly wouldn't want to criticise, but I think sometimes it's a cost. But sometimes when we are serving God, uh, and I speak as people who have, we have to th think, uh, sorry, we all serve God, but full-time, you know what I mean, church leaders in this case. You have to think, what is the impact on our children? And, and sometimes we have to moderate the way we... I, I tried not to be out every evening, you know, because... Um, I need to be around, especially actually more in the teenage years in some ways, although I used to try and put them to bed when they were small and pray with them and um, because I think it's not just mum's job to do that, it's dad's as well. And you're making little choices about what time you have your trustees meeting. <laughs> I want it 8 o'clock because I want to put the kids to bed. You know, So I think we all have, to, if we're in that sort of full time, which is not your, it's your sister. And I mean, whether she's made... It's only God and she knows <laughs> there were little choices she could have done better. But we live with where we are now, and I think you can just support her and help her um, and pray. that Even then, there's no... I mean, we went through, as you imagine, what have we done wrong when our daughter... And I had some great counsel from Terry Virgo and from Don Smith, good friends. First of all, I wanted to resign, you see, when Chloe was... Uh, and, I, and they said, look, it, it's about how you manage your household. It's not just a snapshot. You've got two kids going on loving God. Uh, you, you've got to manage this in God. It's not like one strike and you're out sort of thing. And also, um, it, it, it was... It was a testimony, I think, to the church. I mean, not that we were perfect, far from it, as Marion said. We were crying away. But the, of the, how you tussle with the realities uh, of life, and it doesn't always go smoothly. Well, now, God was good, and Chloe's actually a pastor's wife, as I speak today. Uh, we, uh, as Paul leads a church. But, um, but that wasn't how it looked then. And um, I suppose, what am I trying to say? You can't have snap answers. You've just got to walk with grace of God through it.
is kind of like an olive plantation for Darcy. Um, it takes some courage, but if she is, if she feels she's not always treated well, this is an example of her daughter's ability to be deaf, to try and open up that conversation and acknowledge that she's she's did the best she could, but it it may it may have affected her, you know, her and sometimes just trust. I've asked God for a good opportunity, but try and have an honest heart to heart talk. Mm. Um, I think it's over, over healing the relationship if a parent is over a child and be humble about what they felt they did wrong. Yeah, yeah that's very good. And that's very true. And we we talked to our adult children and said, you know, how, did, how was it growing up in the Christian? We've had some good meaty conversations. They're all going on in God. They're all in church. They said, oh, they told us what they thought was difficult and hard and we, we talked about it. Now that, I'm not saying everybody can do that, but I think that's a good point. I'm going to, shall I pray and just let you go? You've been very good sitting here in the heat. Um, Lord, thank you for the many children that this, I'm sure this tent reflects, that you've given us where they have grown up, I presume, because that's why we're here, and are already out there leading their own lives. Lord, some of them may be not where we wanted them to be, but Lord, I believe your eye is on every one of them. And Lord, you have a care for them. You're looking over them and after them. And Lord, I pray that any that have strayed from you will come back. I pray, Lord, those that are serving you will be clear and bold and fruitful and go further than we've gone. I pray you will keep them all from the evil one. And Lord, don't let them be led into temptation. And I pray that you will bless us, that we will be able to serve you right till you take us home. And I pray that our children will continue that um, heritage of following you and serving in their generation as well. Lord, I thank you for this afternoon. I ask your blessing on every family represented this afternoon here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for coming.